What are the behaviors and the patterns in your life like right now that if you were to say, if you were to be rigorously honest, you'd go, I, this continues to lead me to chaos and insanity. Great. Let's start there and work backwards. Hey everyone, welcome back to the PK Podcast. As you know, that PK stands for Preacher's Kid and it does not stand for Perfect Kid. It's a good thing too, because if it did, I would not have a co-host. How are you doing, Eli Blevins? One of the most not perfect people that I know. I love it. You're the most encouraging person ever. I'm, whenever I'm I get always on here, here to be positive, encouraging, and uplifting like K-Love, just like the social media where we met. Twitter is always a... I mean, it's like a bed of comfort and positivity. If you need to be uplifted in your day, Twitter is the place to be. Absolutely. That's, and that's where we met. So that's incredible. Uh, but no, everything's good here. Um, I know you want the weather update. It's just hot. That's good. There's nothing to it. It's just, it's hot. I don't know why you always like knowing what the weather is here every time I talk to you, but... I, I, I want the weather report in Wilmington, North Carolina, because whenever you tell me anything negative, I kind of celebrate it a little bit, because if I don't get to be there, then if there's something negative to say, I want to be saying it. So it's great. Um, it's kind of like it's kind of like that that friend who's like visiting Disney or Universal and they're like, man, the lines are so long. And you're like, ha, sucks to be you, even though you really want to be there with them. So. Um, Absolutely. Well, we just had a we just had a uh, college young adult event at the beach the other night, and so I mean, where can you do that? I mean, like that's the, it's the best being able to go to the beach for church. Suffering. I mean, suffering come on, I'm suffering. Jesus. I'm a missionary, so if you guys want to give to my cause here at the beach, um, you can cash at me or Venmo me as a uh, as a coastal missionary. Coastal missionary. I love it. That's amazing. Genius. That's actually pretty genius. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I I buy into that, man. <laughs> Hey, well, someone's got to do coastal missionary, bro. We get someone's got to run with that. So, well, I think that's going to be the the thing because um, Jesus has a lot of parables where he's by the water, mm. and look how look at his what look at the work that Jesus did. And I'm just saying, I'm not saying here that like you need to you know correlate me with Jesus here, but he did a lot of miracles down there by the ocean. So, yeah, that's where that's my wife's where my wife is from. Oh, really? Yeah. See, only good things come from things by the beach. Sorry, John. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, not not a whole lot of good ever came out of like Indiana, but we're here to celebrate. Um, I've been there. That's why I'm here now. Um, that's right. We've got an incredible guest with us today, a great friend. He's doing so many incredible things, serving pastors and leaders, businesses and ministries. It's called the Warrior Nation, but our guest today is Doc Ferris. Doc, we're so excited that you're here with us. Excited to be here, man. Thank you for having me. Well, we like to get the episode started with some rapid fire questions. These are don't think about it. Just toss out the first thing that comes to your mind. Are you ready? Yeah, let's go for it. Hey, what's the best sport that someone could play or watch? Soccer. Of all of your kids, who is your favorite? Pass. <laughs> no, <laughs> you know, I'll tell you, here's my favorite right now. My favorite is my son because I've waited like 20 something years to get one and God finally gave me a little boy. So we're having a, he, he's about to be two and we're having fun. So. Amen. What is, what, since you talked about your son, what is the manliest activity that someone could take part in? Hunting. And what are we hunting? Oh, Ben, whatever you want. I mean, we hunt everything. Deer, turkey, ducks, bear. Awesome. Whatever. Hey, what is the stupidest thing that you have ever heard from behind the pulpit? 
Man, uh, <clears throat> there was this. How, how long do I have to answer this? This is like the, 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 so, there was this um, guy in college who put together an entire dissertation to a church education class on how the fruit that Adam and Eve ate from the tree was an actual grape. And he went through this whole thing. He had all this Bible stuff behind it. And I mean, I got to be honest with you, it was really impressive until one of my buddies raised his hand and he goes, uh, professor, whatever. He goes, um, I just want to remind you, he said that grapes don't grow on trees. They grow on vines and literally imploded <laughs> his entire, I mean, like this guy got visibly angry uh, in the class, but that was probably like one of the highlights of uh, a guy trying, <laughs> trying to sound really smart, but that had no idea what he was talking about. Well, speaking of um, fundamentalism, because that's probably where that came from. It was a fundamental college for sure. You don't right. listen. You don't get that higher education in anywhere but a fundamental <laughs> Baptist college. So. No. Uh, <laughs> if if there were baseball cards made of like the top three to five uh, fundamentalist pastors of all time, who would be the ones you want to collect the rookie cards of? Um, to do what for like darts or just um, to throw I'm darts? I'm thinking at? it's going to be a game like Pokemon where they have different powers and things. Oh that gosh. Can so we we have to go with jack hiles because jack hiles you know he he was the guy that broke out of the southern baptist and had the quote largest fastest growing church in the world uh and he was a stud in his own right i mean he was also a serial adulterer but we'll we'll pass on that um the other one would be um you're probably gonna have to cut that one well out. everyone has a strength and a weakness so yeah. fastest growing bus ministry serial adulterer you know yeah one gets right. points kind of like, one, king, one loses kind of like king david though yeah no 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 this guy was a whole nother level but anyway no, um, i would that's true that's a great point i would have to go with um just because i absolutely this guy is so comical and i can't stop watching him is phil kid like i i just think he is a it, it, here's the thing i'm enamored by him he's like a rock star in his own right but my favorite thing about him is his hair club for men and so i would definitely uh i would definitely go with him and then i would have to say um i would have to say probably other than that would be uh john hamblin mm. rambling hamblin rambling hamblin yeah, I think again, this... because these guys are just I. So they entertain me, right? <laughs> I, I get on Twitter with anonymous accounts because they don't let me. They block all of them, block me, and uh, to follow like Phil Kid. And of course, Giles is dead, but Phil Kid and um, and John Amblin, and it's pure entertainment. I think uh, Hamblin's strength is a fresh, warm bread uh, from the ovens of heaven, and uh, weakness would be all of his sermons have to sound like this yeah. the whole way through yeah um, and have you ever seen his opening prayers it is it is so scripted somebody put a post together the other day of his opening prayers and his meetings all over the country and i mean they are the exact same that boy's got it down hey i just thought of another name that i think we gotta we gotta work with is uh tony hudson oh amen i mean he's a dude does, is there anybody out there right now that entertains more than that guy? I don't think so. He's my number one. Yeah. Yep. You worked well, with him though, right? No. I, 
we we did some events together but i didn't work at his church or with him per se but when i was in fundamentalism it was like a really cool honor to be speaking at the same event as tony hudson, hudson was, was that? like oh yeah can i awesome. can i just i can't just say the way john you just said the way i was in fundamentalism it makes it sound like you were in like a like a cult or something well i'm glad <laughs> that that's how it sounded because that's definitely what it was <laughs> the way it just rolled so, wait, out, so, like, so hold up eli did you are you a part of that did you grow up in that at all i couldn't tell you anybody you just listed oh bro yeah you know it's it's a full-blown cult <laughs> eli learned the ifb um abbreviation on an episode of the preacher's kids podcast last year so this has mm. been really cool it's eli introduces me to all of the pks that grew up in like a grace-filled non-denom environment and i introduce him to everybody else and so it's, yeah it's been a fun partnership last question for you is what is another name that one might refer to the pulpit as in the middle of a rant sacred desk the sacred desk that's a winner. Um, all answers on the board. That was the one worth the most points right there. Well, we're excited that you're with us today. Eli, why don't you kick us off? Absolutely. Well, hey, we just like hearing um, from people like you. We just want to hear kind of your experience growing up as a pastor's kid. So if you could kind of take us, kind of take us up in the plane, um, looking down on the ground and just kind of showing us kind of what your, your life was like as a pastor's kid from that perspective and uh, maybe some some perks, maybe some pains, everything in between uh, there. Um, and so, yeah, I'll let you go, man. Yeah. So, you know, my dad was raised, he was Church of Christ, and he they did not, when he started his ministry, he went to Atlantic Christian College. It wasn't an independent Baptist college, of course, and um, his heart was for ministry. They started, you know, in the 70s, they were part of that whole Jesus movement. So dad was reaching hippies and and um, he had the long hair and, you know, th that was never a thing, right? They were just, whoever was for Jesus, they were for. And he ended up graduating from college. He goes to work for a guy um, in uh, Tampa Bay area, Tampa, Florida. And um, this guy was, was also Church of Christ, but he was a hardcore Jack Hiles follower. In fact, he would preach Jack Hiles' messages one week after Jack Hiles. Like he would get the tapes, remember the old cassette tape? He would get those tapes, he would preach those, and then he would um, he, he would write them out word for word, he would preach them. Anyway, that's where dad got introduced to that whole movement. And, um, and so it, it wasn't long after that, the pastor of that church at that time had a moral failure, and dad just kind of stepped into that role. And, and he, he inherited this independent, what, what was becoming an independent Baptist church. It was transferring from... Uh, Church of Christ to Independent Baptist Church, and um, and I was a, I mean, I was super young. In fact, when he took over at, as pastor, I was in third grade, right? So, so a good portion. But, but from the time, if you grew up in church, you were in church nine months before you were born, right? So you were born, you're in the nursery, right? Like you just grew up in that environment. And if your dad, uh, if your parents were at any level involved in the church, serving on staff, you were a bit of a you know, you have that PK rock star status, right? Everybody wanted to be around you. We didn't not just have a church. We had a church, we had a, a private school and a very large one. So my entire life was, you know, surrounded by the church and encompassed with church and church people. And so we, so dad, um, you know, he, he got in, immersed into that independent Baptist stuff. He started going out to pastor school. Are you familiar with that, John? Oh, yes. And, uh, yeah, so he started going to pastor school. And this is a true story. He was there, places jam-packed. He's up on the second row. Jack Hiles is up there just preaching his heart out. 
And he says, um, some of you pastors in here need to get your haircut and quit acting like Jerry Rubin. Well, dad looks to his left. He looks to his right. And nobody around him, they all had the old IFB tapered cuts, right? Nobody in there had long hair but him. So he's like, well, he's definitely talking to me. And instead of dad getting angry, he went home, got his hair cut, got the, got the fundamental Baptist cut. And that like changed everything for us, right? We went in hardcore into the IFB world. Well, dad got connected with some of the big dogs in there, started traveling and speaking and being, you know, he was invited out to the colleges. And of course, you know, um, the, the, the better you are at speaking and the better of a communicator you are and how you lead size of your church will get you an unearned doctorate degree, right? So dad was starting to get doctor, these really important uh, doctorate degrees from all these non-accredited colleges from all over the country. So we were like deeply immersed in, into it. And so, um, and here's, what's fascinating about growing up, not just in the church, but in a school where your dad is the pastor and he's also the administrator of the school and the principal and the school was large. I mean, there's six, 700 kids in the school. Right. So it was a, I mean, that's large for a, a an independent Baptist school. Right. Mm. Um, and so you're, you know, you're at the helm of all of that. And, and so you get to see the good, the bad and the, and the ugly, and so there's, there's a couple different tracks. I think for me as a pastor's kid, you have the, the, the one track where you're um, you're always on, on display. Um, everything you do is on display. You're, you know, you've heard the term, you live in a glass house and you, you always are told things like, Hey, you, we've got to do it this way because people are watching and we have to set an example. So you're, you're sort of in this sociological construct, you're designed and constructed to always be operating from a place of approval. Uh, that doesn't play out well in adulthood. We can get into that a little bit later, maybe. But the other track for me um, was personally was in that independent Baptist world where I tell people all the time, we were basically Amish with televisions. I mean, like we were not allowed to do anything. And by the way, the television that we had um, we could barely watch it because we had a three cuss word rule. If there was three cuss words, you had to turn it off. Right. And so we barely had television. Um, but, but that created another tension because our, our school was an open school. And so this was weird, right? So you had all these people coming in, most of them were flunkies out of, they were got in trouble in public school. And so their parents put them in our Christian school. So I was getting a taste of what was going on out in the real world but I was never allowed to engage or to, to be a part of it. And so it was this really weird tension growing up. Like we weren't allowed to date. Here's a great rule. We weren't allowed to date until we got to college. And um, so there was all these, you know, things that were going on and parties and things were happening and, and you could never go or have a girlfriend or whatever, because we, we weren't allowed to do that. Right. And so there was a weird tension in that lane um, that was really, really difficult. And here's what it did for me. It, 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 I got a, an attitude of just, I hate church and I, I don't want to, I don't want anything to do with God. And in fact, I remember my graduation year, one of the elders of the church said, Hey, are you going to go to Bible college and, and fall in your dad's footstep as a pastor? And I gave him the double, the double bird salute and said, absolutely not with a couple, um, couple words in front of it. But, um, I mean, that's how angry I was, right. A lot of anger and bitterness. And it wasn't until I, moved out and got away from home and got away from all of that and was able to really start my relationship with God outside of this performance gospel, um, that it all started to make sense. So we had a good childhood. 
we had a good life. My dad was super involved. He wasn't like a lot of these dads who were um, on mission to save America while they sacrificed their family on that altar. He didn't do that. He was at every ball game. He was a present with all, you know, he was a part of my life. And, and um, we had a great relationship. We hunted during hunting season. We hunted together every year. Like we were, we had a great relationship. That part was good, but I, everything else was not good, right? I don't have a good memory of church. I hated it. I hated growing up in that environment. And, and to go back what I said a minute ago, you know, this, this sociological construct of you have to prove yourself to everybody created in me a, a sickness of approval addiction um, that, that really played out. So, you know, when you're raised in a performance gospel context, you don't just shed that, that layer of, you know, training um, and construct when you become an adult, right? In fact, it can get worse and, and you, you know, you live your whole life from that performance mindset. And it's such a jacked up. I mean, it's completely contrary to what I know today of the gospel, completely contrary of that. Um, but, but I'm going to be honest with you, it took a lot of work and, 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 and sitting a lot in front of a therapist. I spent a lot of time in therapy, working through some of the stuff and really starting to identify inventory and identify the anger, right. And, and where my resentments were uh, so that I could get to that place of having a right relationship with God. I believe that's why this podcast is so important for you. That's listening and why it seems as though in every other episode, we're recommending a few different counseling opportunities for you. And my favorite is called standing stone. It's a counseling service that's available to pastors and their family absolutely free. And you can connect with them and have somebody to talk to because there are pieces of that performance gospel. I love how you called that and labeled it that we don't even realize in the moment until the rotten fruit of them has already ripened. And so talking with someone and connecting with someone can help identify some of those things early on and help you get a, a grip on them, especially when it comes to like Eli and I were talking, he, you know, we want to ask you about the betrayal and the forgiveness and the relationships and the trauma and all of those things. Like how, how did you, how did you begin to, to break out of those things and identify them? <laughs> It's a great question. I think I think what the listeners have to understand is that what you just said, John, is so important that we we start to inventory and, ident inventory and identify this as adults. There are two stages of conscience development in our sociological construct as children. There are two stages of, of conscience development, right? Number one is conscience assimilation. So what happens is, is when you're in an environment, you, you are assimilating that environment. You're trying to make sense of that environment. So if you have a father that was angry or a mother who was abusive, or you grew up in the independent Baptist or in the church in general, a pastor's kid and all the stuff that you see in that you're, as you're growing up, the first stage of that is you're assimilating all that's 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 happening well the second stage that you that you move into is what's co is called conscience adaptation you begin to adapt to that environment and so it becomes a part of you right you, again you don't just shed that stuff off it becomes a part of who you are and 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 nobody understands this and again thank God for what you're doing and the pastor's kids who are engaging and a part of this. This is what I want to say to moms and dads who may be listening, who are pastors and who have children. It's like, you, you, you better realize that, that this is happening right now. And there's going in, in your child's life. And there is going to be some long-term effects. If you don't put some guardrails and set some boundaries up and put some things in place 
that help to protect your kids from this because you're creating approval addicts by saying things like, hey, we have to do this because everybody's watching or, hey, we can't do that because, you know, it may be a bad testimony. That was the one I hated the most. I, I listen, I do believe that there are ways that we can be a bad testimony. But I mean, we weren't allowed to go to the movies. This is how freaking inconsistent we were. You couldn't go to the movies because it was going to be a bad testimony. Somebody wouldn't know if you were going in to see a rated R movie or not. We don't want to be a stumbling block. Right. But we could go into Blockbuster and rent movies from Blockbuster um, because it's not a movie theater. Right. That was the depth, the profundity of that inconsistency that we were under. And so to answer your question, I had to I had to become aware of the effect that that had on me and our and what we do now with business leaders and pastors is what we call shadow work right so as an adult i have to go back and shadow that young child that that little boy version of me and walk through some of those pain points which is what we call the three eyes uh, inventory identify and interrupt I have to inventory some of that, that stuff that happened. I've got to identify the cause because I can tell you with 100% certainty, the behaviors that I have as an adult are connected to those sociological constructs, right? As my conscience began to adapt to those things. And this is what, what I had to become aware of, like some of the issues that I had. By the way, I, was, I had awful relationships as an adult with people. I was inappropriate with women. Um, I, that approval addiction put me in a place of always looking for the approval of even other, you know, people that I shouldn't be getting the approval from, right? I had to go back and reverse engineer and connect the dots of those things. Now, hear me out. I'm not pointing the finger and blaming people, but I am saying that there is on that psychological matrix, their environment plays a big role in that continuum. And if we're not if we're not becoming or if we're not willing to become aware of what those things are connected to, we're going to just keep on recycling the same insanity and the same chaos in our life and our, you know, our behaviors. Yeah, I think that's I can relate to that some too, just in the sense of like the striving for approval. I remember one time I was at hanging out at a friend's house. And I think I've shared this on a on an episode before. Maybe I haven't. Um, and, you know, I was interested in a girl. I was talking to her there at this I mean, it was, it was a part, it was a birthday party, but it wasn't like an alcohol part. It wasn't like one of those kind of things. It was just, a get together at a friend's house. And I remember, um, someone that I knew that went to church with me, they were, their parents were strict on dating. Um, my parents weren't necessarily strict on dating at all. They just kind of, you know, they, they taught us what to do in an appropriate way. Like, you know, they, you know, they, they kind of helped coach me through it. And I remember sitting there just interested in this girl and talking to her and, um, you know, I think at one point we may have even, well, we started dating, um, but we hadn't really told anybody yet, but I was sitting there holding hands with her on the couch and it was just kind of like a thing. Well, this person who went to our church went back and told their parents, Hey, if Eli's allowed to have a girlfriend, like, why can't I have a girlfriend? Like if he can do this and he's the pastor's kid, shouldn't I be able to do this? And I remember thinking that moment, like, wow, I didn't realize that people were paying attention and basing their, some of their life, even off of what I'm doing. And I remember that was like the first time I was like, wow, okay, this is, this is different. Like, this is not what I thought it was going to be like. Well, bro, when you're um, told, so, but think about this, when you're told your whole life that everything is taboo and then mm-hmm. you start to see other people where, who live their life where everything's not taboo. You, it, mm-hmm. Here's the, here's the one, again, another great danger in that environment, in that world is, is that we are, we are hardwired for mystery. And so mm-hmm. the more you tell me I can't, the more I want to do it. Right. And so that's, that's literally what happens in that world, right? They're going, wait a minute, this guy's doing it and he's a normal dude and God's not striking him dead. And he's, you know, he's got a pretty good testimony. So what's it, you know, 
this isn't adding up. Right. And yep. so I, dude, I walked that out a thousand, shoot, a hundred thousand times growing up. Yep. And I think it was weird. Cause I was sitting there, I was like, I'm 17, I may have even been 18 at the time. And I was just like, my parents trust me enough to make these decisions. They're the pastors, you know, and our church wasn't a small church by any means. It was a pretty, pretty, you know, good sized church. And I was like, hopefully like everybody else in the church isn't looking at me like an alien here for, for, you know, all this that's going on. And, you know, I was like, I'm not doing anything wrong. I mean, it's not a sin to sit here and hug a girl, you know, that's just Mm -hmm. not a sin, but to them, they're like, Oh my gosh, if he can do that, why can't I do that? And next thing you know, their parents are calling me go and like, Hey, I didn't know, like you're allowing your kids to do this. And they're like, yeah, he hugged a girl or held her hand or like big deal. And so, well, again, it's a, it's a whole, yeah, it's the whole context of religions. Basically, God's good, you suck, try harder. And that's how, you know, you you live your life in that every day that you wake up and it's like, well, how good is good enough? And and how mm-hmm. good do I have to be to, you know, to be in good standing? Here's what sucks about the performance gospel too, though, is, is that you believe that the blessings of God in your life are predicated on what you do and how mm-hmm. you perform at rather than it being predicated in the nature of who God is. Yeah. And that's a hard rate. So, so what happens is you start to take credit for the good and the bad, right? Like if things fall mm-hmm. apart, oh, I screwed up. If things are good, oh, I must've done better today, right? All of the glory comes back to you. And again, it's just a, um, it, it's a really, really sad place. I, and it's not just independent Baptists to do this. I mean, this is like an American church model. Um, sure. it, it's almost become a part of our ecclesiology, right? Like if you perform better, God's going to love you more. And so we, we, we create our churches in the context of behavioral modification, not character transformation. You, in, in, in all of the things that you're, you're doing and the people that you're serving, I want to talk about that in just a minute. But you put out a piece of content not long ago that said, it is direction, not intention, that leads us to a destination. Mm-hmm. And that was really the ignition of a series of videos where you talked about healing from trauma and healing from betrayal and relationships and forgiveness and I'm watching them in in my context as a preacher's kid, and then I'm thinking about as a business leader, and then I'm thinking about now as a pastor, and it, it's blowing my mind. You even did a video not long about um, your marriage and relationships and all of that, and I saved it. I'm like, I, I need to watch this a bunch of times. And so, uh, our, you know, our friend is listening who graduated from his dad's house you know, several years ago, he's in his twenties. Now he's married, he's moving on. And now he's looking back at, I have trauma and there's been betrayal and I'm dealing with unforgiveness and all of those things. What do you say to, to that guy? How can we be emotionally aware and healthy now? So it goes back, John, this is a great question. It goes back to what I said a minute ago. We have to realize that we have adapted and become a part of those environments. So you and I, the three of us right now, we are nothing more than the sum total of our past circumstances, um, events in life, uh, you know, situations, sociological contracts. Like we're the sum total of those things. And so we're carrying that baggage. And, and so the first thing that I say to people in this is you cannot do it alone. If you could fix this on your own, you would have already fixed it. And so you cannot do it alone. You have to bring somebody in the narrative that knows what they're doing and can walk you through this. And I, and I want to just say this. I say this in love. There's no judgment or condemnation here. Be careful going in to sit down with pastors in a church to do this. You need somebody who is either licensed in therapy or does this professionally and for a living um, that can unpack some of the things that need to be unpacked. 
because again, we can, we only see it through the lenses that we've been taught to see it through. And you've got to bring somebody into that narrative who's seeing it through a different set of lenses and is going to be able to help you connect the dots. A good therapist can finish your sentence, not because they've been there or done it, but because they're, they know how to connect the dots in, in what, you know, again, I call it the process of reverse engineering. So here's what it looks like for me. What is the behavior or pattern that I have today? All behaviors and patterns can be traced back to something. So remember this, guys, every outward behavior is a manifestation of an inward brokenness, right? We cannot change what is outwardly broken by throwing outward things at it. We've got to get to the root, right? So we look at it and go, what's the behavior and pattern in my life that continues to lead to chaos and insanity? With 100% certainty, that's going to be reverse engineered. It's going to be connected to a fear. There's some fear that you have in your life that you're operating out of. When you reverse engineer from that fear, you're going to go back to a resentment. That fear will always be connected to a resentment. What's a resentment? It's nothing more than an expectation that went unmet. And then that resentment can be reverse engineered back to a wound. You're, there's going to be a name. There's going to be a situation. There's going to be a moment. There's going to be something that is attached to that resentment. And so in order to change the behavior, we have to eliminate the fear. In order to eliminate the fear, we have to transcend the resentment. In order to transcend the resentment, we have to heal from the wound. And so again, if you have to bring somebody into that narrative. That's really good. I I'm glad that you pointed out the sitting down with the right type of person um, because when I've sat down with people who just wanted to be my, if you're mad at it, I'm mad at it corner, they've defined trauma as anything that I didn't like. But then I've also sat down with people who were well-intentioned and who loved Jesus, but were looking at things that were traumatic and saying, that's just part of life. Right. Can you help us define what actually is trauma? Because I think one generation is like nothing is, and one generation, everything is. Is there a middle ground? Yeah, yeah, it's a good question. I, I think that trauma is going to be different for everybody. So, you know, you can have two people that were abused by their father, and one guy's going to look at it through the, you know, he he's just a you know, he was able to rise above it in his mind. And, you know, he just kind of plowed through it and pushed through. He has this really deep, profound character and he pushed through it. And another guy is going to be affected differently, right? So I don't believe we're all affected the same by trauma. And so I'm not sure that there's a blanket definition to, to what that trauma is. Here's what I would say. I would say that the whatever behaviors or patterns that you have in your life that continue to go full circle and continue to lead you into the same chaos and the same insanity, I will guarantee you, you didn't wake up one day and go, man, I want to be a porn addict. Or you didn't wake up one day and go, man, I really want to struggle with lust. Or I want to, I want to, you know, my goal is to just be angry and to hate everybody. That's not what we do as human beings, right? It is connected to something. And so with 100% certainty with everybody that we work with, and when we do this reverse engineering, it always comes back to a womb. So one of the things that we ask people to do is we, we um, encourage them to start asking themselves some leading questions, right? Like, hey, how was, you, how was your operating from a context of rigorous honesty? How was your relationship with your dad? Is there any significant moment that you have with him that you'd go, man, haven't thought about this in a long time, but holy smokes, right? 
Because when they start to tell those stories, I have, we have the ability then to take that moment and connect it to, to something that's happening in the present, right? So we take these past experiences and we connect the dots and we go, well, brother, the reason that you're struggling with your wife right now and you're struggling with this whole thing, you're, you know, you're dealing with abandonment and rejection. And your father may, was, may have been a pastor and he was a good guy, but he spent most of his time at the church and he sacrificed you on the altar of trying to build a big church, right? Like it's helping to connect that. So guess what? Two things happen. This is again, back to the conscience adaptation. Two things happen. When we adapt, when our conscience, when we adapt to that behavior, we, we act out to protect ourselves from it, right? Number one, number two, we actually, then we start to actually do it. So the things that we hated the most about our parents are the things we end up doing the most as a parent, mm-hmm. right? We start to live those things. They become generational curses, which we know is true. I mean, Exodus 25, God said, I'll visit the iniquity of the fathers three and four generations to those who hate me and despise me, right? So we, we know that generational curses are a real thing, but that's how it's manifested in our life. So I think it begins with what are the behaviors and the patterns in your life like right now that if you were to say, if you were to be rigorously honest, you'd go, I, this continues to lead me to chaos and insanity. Great. Let's start there and work backwards. Eli, has this been the most educational, therapeutic, helpful episode that we've ever recorded? Cause I think I it think might just this, have become number I feel one. like I went to school, went to ministry and went to therapy or went to church, school, church, and therapy in the same like 30 minutes. <laughs> the last 30 minutes have been more and valuable awesome. than just about any seminary class I ever took. So, um, I'm, have, is, have we been 30 minutes already? We've been, we've been 30 minutes already. Like, wow, that's too bad. That's, that's how good time flies when you're having fun. For sure. For sure. For sure. Well, Hey, um, I want to ask you a quick question real quick. And I just want to know, tell us about your kind of transition, um, from full-time ministry to kind of where you're at today. Um, so catch us up on kind of modern day where you're at, um, and just kind of take us to how that journey came about. Yeah. Are you even in ministry? Like, can you call what you do? ministry because you're not behind the sacred desk week in and week out mm-hmm. for sacred desk. Like, hey you know we are we're, we're parachurch now <laughs> oh there there you go so okay. to know it's not a real ministry no yeah so you know great question elon i appreciate it i you know we um mark and i and i'll he's going to tell his story and his story is just so fascinating as well but you know we we were walking this out and didn't even know it he was walking it out in his life i was walking out in my life i started working with the business guys and in um about six and a half years ago i was in my abiding time and the father speaks to me i was camping out in the book of john and he says these words to me it was so profound he said you're not going to spend the last half of your life entertaining christians but influencing world changers and it was a really interesting i mean the way he spoke it and said it and i just started pressing in and praying and about two or so months, two or three months after that, I started getting phone calls from these young millennials around the country who were asking me, they were business guys, 25 to 35, making millions of dollars in real estate and stuff and asking me to, if, if, if they could hire me as a spiritual mentor. And I'm like, I don't even know what that is, right? I've pastored, I've been in church and pastored my whole life. So that really began the journey. And, um, and then the Lord just really was pulling us away from, I started to become very disenchanted with the American church. And, the, and I'm going to say the American church model, because the American church is God's people, but the model um, and how we were, uh, the, the, what our ecclesiology had become very disenchanted. And uh, so my wife and I were praying and we do not move on any big thing in life until we are in complete unity. And so when we are not in unity as a husband and wife, we go to what's called neutrality. And that's just a time of praying. And um, if, by the way, if you don't move to neutrality in your marriage, you'll move to resignation. And that always leads to resentment and anger and typically divorce. So 
we were in neutrality and praying because I was there, but she wasn't there for two and a half, I'm sorry, two years and two months. And just asking, you know, for the father to give us that green light to close the door to, you know, we raised up a leader at the church that we were in and um, to move into this full time. And in November, I'm sorry, in um, uh, September of 2021, the Lord said to her, it was time. And we were, I can tell you, take you to the spot on the road where she said, Hey, the Lord, you know, the father has released me and it's time. And so we, we were able, so we, even those two years and two months when I wanted to go, she wasn't ready. We were still in unity because we were operating from that place of neutrality. And then when she said it's time, man, boom, it was over by November. I had stepped away and uh, we moved up to the ranch that we have where we're at now and full time into what we're doing. Interestingly enough, Mark was going through that exact same thing at the exact same time, and that's when God brought us together. So it's a full-blown, profound, supernatural move of God, and it's uh, it's Incredible. been really cool to see it happen. Yeah, Incredible. The- well, you're, you're killing it. I love seeing your videos, too, and just like your brilliance. So like when I see your social media videos and stuff like that, like everyone who's listening to this needs to follow him and listen to what he's putting out on there, too. I need to know who you are on, I I need to know who you are on um, Instagram. I didn't, uh, you got to send me a thing so I can find you. I had been doing it from our uh, PK account, the Pastor's account, but I did just follow you before this. Like, okay, you would not, because we were probably even on this when I did that, but um, I was going through on there and I'm like, this is free content. Like, sweet. This is awesome. Cool. Yeah. It's, it's Gary V level value without all of the F-bombs dropped in there. Um, his, the the new F word is forgive. That's what it is for perfect um, for the for the warrior nation. So in the show notes, if you scroll up or you check out the description on YouTube, you can find Doc's social media and their website. But um, why should every PK check out the Warrior Nation or make their dad look at it as well? What's going on in yeah. that movement? And uh, just kind of close us out by telling us about what God's doing there. So this is the beautiful part about Mark and his involvement and, you know, our, our partnership and what we do. Mark, God has given that man incredible favor in the, in the church world. And, um, you know, we have started a whole division now called Servant Warriors, and we are um, working with pastors. In fact, I'm at the retreat center now, the new one that we just uh, got. And um, we're, we've got a bunch of work getting ready. Our first retreat that we're doing here is for pastors. Our pastors retreats are three-day getaway retreats. We're going to do couples retreats for pastors, retreats for just pastors and their, their team. Um, and what we're, what we're doing is, is we're teaching them the principles and concepts of abiding. We're walking them through the psychology and the th- some of the, a lot of stuff that we talked about here today, how to become the healthiest version of you. Um, we believe that if we can get our pastors healthy, we can get our church healthy, our churches healthy. And um, so it's, it's a great opportunity to step into something as far as I know, guys, and I'm, I'm not, I'm not in the world as much as you guys are, but I don't know of anybody who's doing what we're doing at the level that we're doing it. And again, we've been doing it with business guys for six years. And these, these are hot. I mean, some of the guys that we work with that we mentor are CEOs of globally traded companies. And I mean, we, God's given us incredible favor in that space. Um, but it, it's moving now into, into the pastor's world. And I can tell you the guys, the pastors that are connected, I mean, their worlds are being rocked. And, um, so <laughs> just had a guy call me today. It's uh, they just took all of our abiding stuff, the videos that we shot, they're doing it in their church. Church runs about 12, 15,000 people and told them this week and, and said, I, we cannot believe we are literally going to take every year we're taking our church through this. And so uh, there's a, there's a sweeping 
revival that is happening. But you hear something fascinating, fascinating guys, and I'll, I'll leave it with this. Mark, lock this in. The next revival and awakening is not coming out of the American church model. It's coming out of the marketplace. And God is raising up marketplace apostles where this revival is starting. We, are, we have guys that we are leading who are not pastors. Uh, one guy's a franchiser, got 500 employees. He's led 350 of his employees to Jesus. I mean, they marry, bury, and baptize in their business. Wow. Um, there is a revival that's coming out of there. And um, I just think if the churches start paying attention to the marketplace, the game is over. Amen. Incredible. Man. Hey, if you're tired of your quote unquote uh, quiet time or devotional time or whatever you call it being stale, stagnant, boring, or non-existent, I want to encourage you to check out what's happening with what the Warrior Nation calls abiding. And uh, it is absolutely life-changing. All of that information is in the show notes. And I promise you and your family, your church, your business will be better for it. I don't know of anybody doing what they're doing. Like Doc said, at the level that they're doing it, it's incredible. Yep. Well, awesome. thank you. go ahead. <laughs> I was going to say, thank you for, for being on here and for dropping some, some truth, but also just some practical help. Um, sometimes we forget the practicality of some of this stuff and we try to overcomplicate things. And so um, thank you. I know that there's going to be a lot of pastors, kids who are going to be blessed um, to have listened to this and just people in general, not even there's people who aren't pastors, kids that listen to this because they're just interested to hear our perspectives on life from a pastor's kid and from a ministerial standpoint. Um, yeah. so it's, so thank you for, for, you know, kind of talking us through that today. Great job. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you guys. Eli, normally after the guest hops off, we spend a few minutes discussing our favorite part of the episode, but I don't think we can do that today. The whole episode was our favorite part. And you probably need to rewind and listen through this two and three more times. We're so grateful for you being a subscriber to this podcast and watching this on YouTube. Thanks for sharing it and rating it and reviewing it. All of that that you do helps us connect with preachers, kids just like you all around the country, all around the world. And so in the words of our very favorite theologian, Bob the Tomato. Um, God made you special and he loves you very much. And we can't wait to see you again next week. Amen. Amen. See you guys.